the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. It's the number for you to call. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. Um, quick reminder before I give you other numbers and other stuff, uh, this uh, t- today and tomorrow will be our last shows, live shows of the week. We are, are off Thursday and Friday. We'll be back on Monday, so we love your live calls today and tomorrow. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. We'd love to have your calls. Um, Lines are open. We don't have anything but questions today, nothing to talk about. So uh, let's just get right to the questions. The first one is a question with uh, from Jeff. Um, he said, on Hank Hanegraaff's show yesterday, he said we should not be cremated because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know you have said that you favor cremation. Can you explain? Well, Jeff... Um, Hank Hanegraaff has gone through lots and lots of changes. Um, he's changed, basically he's changed religions. He's become Eastern Orthodox. Uh, his his positions, long established positions on things like the real presence of God uh, in the in the Eucharist, uh, the, the, the issues of baptism, and now this one that I, I hadn't heard about before. Um, uh, a lot of it stems from 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 bad doctrine. Now, I, again, I've explained before that Hank has been a, a huge influence in my life. From the time I first got saved, uh, he was sort of a lifeline to me. So um, uh, I know Hank is a believer. Uh, I'm grateful to God for him, but he's just wrong. Here's, here's the logic. Uh, he is right. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are. But you see, when you die... Death is literally the Holy Spirit leaving your body. And so there's just no conceivable way that that we're desecrating the temple of the Holy Spirit once the Holy Spirit is gone. And that's the whole idea. He takes us to be with the Lord in His presence. And, and uh, it doesn't matter what happens to these old tents. That's all they are. They're just old flesh and blood uh, bodies and... and um, they, they have no more value in terms of being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I favor cremation, Jeff, and, and, and it's just a personal opinion. Uh, if somebody wants to be buried, God bless them. But I favor cremation uh, because it's cheap. I just think the amount of money that we spend on funerals and the superstition surrounding death is obscene. And I can't imagine Paula having to deal with all of that. We, we've talked. We made this decision. It doesn't matter what, what it takes uh, 39 years 
to happen buried in the ground, returning to dust, it takes, you know, 39 minutes um, in a crematory. So um, uh, Hank is wrong. I think his reasoning is wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm sad that he's changed so much in what was really solid theology. Um, but, um, you know, the choices we make are ours. They are personal. And being cremated or being buried, there's no wrong way to do it. Uh, our bodies are gone, frankly. I don't care what happens to this body once um, Jesus has taken me to be with him. Hope that helps. Let's go. we got a couple of phone calls waiting, so let's go first to line one. Sarah is calling from San Antonio on line one. Sarah, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Sarah, are you there? Well, we got problems with Sarah. Either she's gone or not. Let's go to uh, Margaret. Sarah, if you're on the line, hold on. Margaret, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a prayer request for the radio audience. I got a phone call yesterday from a childhood friend. We've known each other over 40 years. He is not a believer. No matter what I've said, he just hasn't, he's just not believing. His brother, his older brother, had a stroke last week, and he is, it was a debilitating stroke. He is in terrible, terrible condition, and he's not a believer either. There's one sister in the family that is. Um, For the last 30 years, she's driven around with a bumper sticker, or maybe 20 years, a bumper sticker that says, this car will be empty when the rapture happens. So (laughs) she truly is a believer. Um, My prayer is that someone will let her know. I have no way of getting in touch with her. She could be listening to this radio show. I... um, that somebody will come into her brother's life and tell them, tell him about Jesus before he is able to commit suicide or before mm-hmm. he dies. He's really in bad shape. And I'm hoping, Mark? I'm hoping that, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, Margaret, do you have a first name so people can be praying? Yes, and this might be letting his sister know. His name is Chris. Okay. We will be praying for Chris. Go ahead. Yes. And I hope that um, as much as I've told my friend about Jesus and the plan that he has for him, and just, I just don't want him to leave this world without Jesus either. And I'm hoping that something happens with his brother to where he becomes a believer. And my friend has no other option but to see Jesus at work here and he'll see that only the hand of God could have changed the situation Um, the man lost his wife a few years back to cancer and he's just basically given up and this is just the final straw And I just don't want the devil to win this time I think this could turn the whole family around if if they let it so I know that all it takes is one prayer and as many people that listen to your show I'm hoping that there'll be thousands of prayers that go up and Um, God will move in our family. Margaret, thank you for giving us the opportunity, and we will pray. Uh, I'm going to pray now really quickly. Lord, we lift Chris to you and and, um, and the situation um, with with the brother. Father, only you can intervene here. So we ask by your Spirit that you would move on on both hearts. Lord, if it takes a miracle to to grab hold of Chris's heart, then we ask you to do that. At the same time, we also know, Lord, that you've done everything that you can to reach out to them. And just as Margaret indicated that we don't want um, him to go um, um, to meet you without knowing you, uh, Lord, all we can do is, is pray to our merciful God and ask for a powerful moving of your spirit. I thank you for witnesses like Margaret and her faithfulness. Um, Lord, you've surrounded these men with with your witnesses, including a sister. So have your way, Lord. Judgment is a strange work, Isaiah 28 says. So you want to save rather than to judge. God, do this trick. And Margaret, we will keep praying. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. I think we thank got you Sarah. so much. My pleasure, Margaret. Thank you. I think we got Sarah back on the line. Sarah, are you there? Yes, I am here. Hi, um, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, my question is, I've 
I wanted to know what your take was on once saved, always saved. I, I don't feel that, um, and I wanted to know what your take was and what Bible verse actually justifies that, because okay. I meet a lot of people that have different opinions, and I just wanted to find out what yours was and where in the Bible would um, justify that. Okay, thank you, Sarah. I can do that for you. Let me first say that I think the question comes up because uh, we humans, we have such limited understanding. Uh, We see people who make professions of faith in Christ all the time, and then they sort of wander away from the Lord, and they end up in in all kinds of different places. And, and, um, Sarah, the the truth is that... that, um, if you've really met Jesus, if you've really been saved, not, not just say it with your lips, not just because you go to church or because you got baptized, but if you really, really have met Jesus, then, then he changes you. It's that simple. Uh, we, we've seen, I'm sure, Sarah, you've seen people who have changed dramatically and changed instantly upon meeting Jesus. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. And what we've done in our culture, and I'm going to answer your question very specifically in a moment, but what we've done in our culture is we want to so believe that everybody who says Jesus is really saved, that that we've sort of twisted what the Bible says regarding this issue of eternal security. Um, Jesus himself said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Uh, In other words, they knew who he was. They had a profession of, of, of faith in Jesus as Lord. But Jesus says to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. So the question in heaven, Sarah, is not whether or not you know God or know about him. It's whether or not he knows you. Are you part of the family? And if you are, I want to repeat this because it's very important. Uh, If you really are a part of the family, then the Holy Spirit comes in and he changes you. He's God Almighty, the Holy Spirit. He changes you. Now, he changes some of us slowly because we're stubborn and, 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 and uh, pig-headed, uh, but, but he changes everybody. And the one thing I always look for is change. And when you see change, you can tell that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Sarah, uh, I, I think it's clear by now, I believe very strongly in the eternal security of the believer. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of verses in Scripture. But the definitive one, and this is one I really want you to sort of perfectly consider, is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, which says that when we are converted, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. It's Ephesians 1.14. Now, there's no way, Sarah, that you can exegete that passage in any other way that, than, than, than saying that what it really tells us is that if the Holy Spirit comes in us, then our eternal security is guaranteed. Now, if I make the guarantee, it's not much of a guarantee. But it's God who's making this guarantee in his word. And there's no way you can explain it away. Uh, we, we also need to understand, the, there are other verses, Jesus said, I've lost none that you have given me. Uh, the idea that we can lose our salvation. Um, nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans chapter 8. Um, the question is whether or not we really were saved in the first place. First John chapter 2, verse 19 says they went out from us because they were never really a part of us or they never really belonged to us. And John, when he wrote that, along with Peter, by the way, um, they were perplexed their entire lives after Judas turned on Jesus and betrayed him. It's like we should have known, but we didn't know. You see, sometimes unbelievers look like believers. And there's a whole lot of people, Sarah, who are trying to um, use their relationship with Jesus as sort of a, an eternal life insurance policy. Yeah, I got baptized there. Yes, I answered an altar call. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I try to be a good person. Whatever the reason. But the truth is they've never let Jesus rule and reign in their hearts. Now, there's something else I want you to do. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 13. The foundation parable of all of the parables that Jesus tells is the parable of the sower. 
And he says, our job as Christians is to, to, to scatter seed. The seed is the word of God, and we're to scatter it generously wherever we go. And then there's four types of soil representing the human heart that are given to us. And Jesus himself explains what happens when the seed of the word of God hits the human heart. Some receive it right away, and, 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 um, and they produce a fruit, a, a lasting fruit. And it's easy to say that, that they're saved. But other times it's not that simple. Sometimes it falls on shallow soil. It springs up very quickly. We've seen emotional conversions, uh, but it doesn't last because the, the soil is too shallow and the fruit from that seed gets, gets sort of burned. Others receive the word, and yet the cares and worries of this world choke it out, making it unfruitful. And some just reject it all away. The word is sowed and the, the enemy is represented in the parable by birds, comes along and, and, and picks at that seed, and it, and it bears no fruit at all. So all we have to do is look around at people, and if we're honest, Sarah, you can tell who's saved and who's not saved. So there's a lot of Bible verses, but, but read the parable in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. Read Jesus' explanation, not just the parable, but read the explanation. It comes a few verses after the, the parable. And, and then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. Let me also say this. There is not a single verse in all of Scripture that would indicate that we can lose or forfeit our salvation. We can't give it away. Not a single verse in all of Scripture. I would say, well, what about Hebrews chapter 6? And, and if you understand Hebrews and, and, and read it in context and understand what Paul is saying, if you go down just a little bit more and say, but for you I have better hope, then you understand that's not at all what he's saying. So there's nothing at all that would make us insecure except one thing. And that's when we're walking away from Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Now, Sarah, if we're abiding in Jesus, I promise you nobody ever has any doubts about their eternal security. The problem is when we're not abiding in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is convicting us and we don't have assurance of our salvation. And the reason we don't have assurance of our salvation is because God loves us too much to let us have assurance of salvation when we're living like we're sinners. So here's the short answer. If somebody was ever really saved, then they're eternally secure. He who began a good work in us, Philippians says, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Sarah, I think people that, that, that doubt that once we're saved, we're, we're forever saved, um, I think they're trying to finish their own work. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. If Jesus is faithful, then he'll complete it. We act like it's up to us to do it. And that's when there's always these questions and always the confusion. Um, so just really prayerfully consider Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14 and see if it says anything other than we are absolutely secure. And not only are we secure, but we know it because God has given His Spirit as a deposit. I have you in my hands, Jesus said in John. And no one can snatch you out of my hands. And my Father, who is greater than I, has you in his hands, and no one can snatch you out of his hands. So the idea that we can lose our salvation, we can give it away, or we can walk away from it, is foreign to the teaching of Scripture. And Sarah, I think the one thing I know for sure, I know for sure God wants you to to, to, to be as secure in his love and secure in his arms. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He knows those who are his. Galatians 6 says, God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. The problem is we don't know it, Sarah, and a lot of people look like Christians, just like Judas did, but they really aren't surrendered to Jesus. So I hope that answers your question. This is an important issue, Sarah, for all of us individually. 
um, again, God wants you to be secure in his love because if you're not, well, it's not his fault. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you listening to the show and appreciate the call. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Mike asks a question. Pastor Ron, what is the meaning of apologetics? Uh, Mike, uh, uh, apologetics is not, not apology, but it's, it's defending the faith. And uh, an apologist is one. Uh, Ravi Zacharias uh, is an apologist. There are so many others, Frank Turek and, and others. Um, and, and their job, in, in, in Ravi's case, he's, he's uh, on college campus. He goes right into the, the heart of the enemy and um, 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 defends our faith. Now, more than defending it, he declares it. He makes no apologies for it, but, but apologetics is simply uh, the ministry of uh, understanding and explaining our faith, answering questions in one sense. This program is an apologetic program. If anybody wants to call and, and they're, they're unbelievers, we, we can talk about our faith. But again, the, the word apologetics does not have anything to do with apology. It's to make a defense of uh, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, and and that's what uh, apologetics is. Let me say one other thing, Mark, regard, Mike, regarding apologetics. Um, there's a whole lot of people, you can find them on YouTube and other places, who say they are apologists, uh, but but really they're just people like to argue. So apologetics is not arguing, it's not debating, it's not sticking a camera in your face and and um, uh, attacking your enemies or attacking those who disagree. Uh, this is a loving, faithful defense of our Christian faith. And every single Christian ought to be able to, to defend our faith when the opportunity arises. Here is a question from Richard. He said, I think people who say baptism, baptism isn't necessary for salvation are minimizing the value of baptism. Why would anyone choose to do that? Well, Richard, I don't think you're listening to the people who say baptism isn't necessary for salvation because the Apostle Paul is one of them. Remember in Corinth, he says, and Corinth was a carnal church. He said, look, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. And then he remembered a couple of people whose names that he baptized. He said, but other than that, my job was to plant the seed. I did that. Somebody else came along and baptized. Now, if baptism was necessary for salvation, there's no way that the Apostle Paul wouldn't have insisted on baptizing people as soon as they made a profession of faith. So when we say baptism isn't necessary, we're saved by grace through faith, that the faith, not of ourselves, it, the faith is a gift from God. That's what it requires to be saved, to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's what it means to be saved. Baptism, Richard, is a response. Now, uh, I'm a pastor. I teach the Bible. We have huge baptism events uh, here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, the, the last thing we would ever do is minimize an ordinance, a sacrament that Jesus said to do. Jesus told us to be baptized. He told us to, to baptize others. So it is important as an obedient response. But to try to present baptism as necessary for salvation, well, the Word of God mitigates strongly against that. You know, I, you must have heard the call that we had on this program late last week, there was somebody who was basically saying the same thing that you're saying now, Richard. Um, and, and it's two verses. It's in the book of Acts and be baptized, uh, repent and be baptized for the mission of sins. Um, to, to understand it as baptism being necessary, I can promise you 3,000 people weren't baptized on the spot on the first day of the church. Baptism is an obedient response to the command of the Lord Obeying Lord, the Lord proves that we, we love him. If you love me, you will obey me, he said. And when we do that, Richard, then, then we're, we're pleasing to God. It always pleases God when we're obedient. But remember, it's not just the book of Acts. It's the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture. And we've got to be good enough students. We've got to be honest enough in our scholarship um, to, to take the balance of the Scriptures. If Paul says that we're saved by grace through faith, 
And you think Peter says that we have to be saved by repenting in baptism and being baptized. Well, one of them is wrong. Or you're misunderstanding one of the passages. I think it's really important that we are more honest in our scholarship. And for you to judge people, Richard, by saying that we're minimizing the value of baptism. You don't know me. The last thing I would ever do is minimize being obedient to the Lord. Uh, I was so excited about being baptized as a, as a public declaration. Um, I, I wanted Paula to baptize me. She's the one who prayed for me for 13 years. And Paula baptized me. We did it in a public pool at a gym in Southern California. I want everybody to see what we were doing. I wanted Paula to know how grateful I was for her faithfulness for 13 years of praying for me. Yeah, baptism was and remains a very, very big deal, Richard. So I'm not minimizing it in the least. It just isn't necessary for salvation. We have 30 minutes left in the program. It's the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our show. Thank you for tuning in, and we're waiting for your phone calls. Sarah, I want to mention one more thing to you. I, I told you uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, but I want to read verse 13 uh, before that just just because I want you to I really want you to rest you know when you called uh, it was like Jesus wanted me to put my arms around you figuratively speaking uh, because he really wants you to understand this verse 13 Ephesians chapter 1 now it doesn't get any clearer than this he said and you and what I like to tell our church here Sarah is when there's something so personal write your name by that verse you are the the one so Sarah, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, that's past tense, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. This is verse 14, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, how could we be uh, to the praise of his glory if we were going to we believe, but okay, now I don't believe anymore. That's not to the praise of his glory. He is the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says. So um, the one thing I can tell you, Sarah, and anybody else who's listening who struggles with salvation, with can I lose it, am I saved, the one thing I can tell you, is that that breaks Jesus' heart. He so wants you to be secure in his love. I've been saved for 28 and a half years. And Sarah, I have never even once in 28 and a half years doubted my salvation. I haven't had a single doubt. Now, I've messed up a bunch of times, but I believe what the Bible says. I repent. And my sins are as far from me as east is from west. It is a wonderful thing to be secure in the love of our Jesus. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that comes anonymously. Um, how can you reconcile a loving God with allowing young children to die or suffer? Uh, anonymous, I don't have to reconcile a loving God. Now, a couple of things. First... God proved his love for us. It's not like we have to guess. He proved his love for us by sending his son to die for us. That's not a fairy tale or a myth. That's not something we Christians say to make us feel better about what happens after we die. It's a fact, an historical fact. Jesus was real. He really lived. He really died. And he really didn't stay dead. 
He proved he was the son of God, which means that God sent his son. Now, uh, you understand that. You wouldn't be writing into a Christian radio program. So can you establish the fact once and for all, once and for all, that he loves you and proved it? You need to do that so you never doubt again. The other thing I would ask you, Anonymous, is why would you question loving God because there is suffering in this world? The same God who allowed his son to suffer for you, he allows suffering in this world. Now that's going to end. There is a time when God is going to end the suffering, he's going to end the pain. But, but now is not that time because there are still people yet to be saved. But God didn't make this world a world of suffering. He made it perfect. We humans are the ones who ruined it. This is a fallen world, a sin-cursed world. And suffering happens to everyone. I think sometimes, Anonymous, when we ask questions like this, why do bad things happen? God, why did you allow this to happen? I think what we really have to understand is it breaks his heart. This isn't the way he made the world. You remember at the tomb of Lazarus, when Jesus saw all of the mourning. Now, he knew he was going to to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he wasn't mourning Lazarus, but he was crying, seeing all the grief and all of the pain. And as he wept, the, the, the motivation behind his weeping was, I didn't make the world this way. This kind of suffering is foreign to me. I didn't ever intend for this to happen, but when sin entered the world, so too did suffering, so too did death. So young children, old children, old men like me, um, we live in a world where suffering is just a reality, a fact of life. And we have to get used to it. I think we need to stop thinking about God as somebody who owes us a life without suffering. And allowing young children to die, he only allows it insofar as he doesn't prevent it. It's important you understand that. But please remember, he already proved his love. So every time you question the love of God, you know where that question comes from. It comes from the pit of hell. So Anonymous, make that decision. Did God love us when he died on the cross? Did he prove it once and for all, or did he not? The answer to that question will determine whether or not you're truly a believer. Here's another anonymous question. Pastor Ron, I'm in the process of divorcing my wife. It won't be final for some time, and there's no hope for reconciliation. Is it okay for me to start dating now? Uh, as a Christian, it is never okay to date while you're married. It's never okay to date while you're married. You'd have to really check your heart. You don't tell me why you're divorced. You say there's no hope of reconciliation, but God is still alive. He's still on the throne. He can still reconcile the hardest of hearts. When you're asking this question, it's like, well, you just want to move on. It's not okay. Divorce is the process of two people being torn apart. You're torn apart from God. You're being torn apart from one another. And since in the process of being married, you were made one, that's going to be painful. So this is a time for some honest reflection. Why... Is there no hope of reconciliation? Is it your hard heart? Is it her hard heart? But it's certainly not okay to date. You are a married man, and until you're not, even then, anonymous, after the divorce is final, I'd be sure that my heart was right with God before I got anybody else involved in my life. We just take divorce so lightly like, it's no big deal, I'll just find somebody and move on, I'll be happy. Unless you let God deal with you right now, you will never be happy with somebody else.
must not divorce your wife, but if you do, you must remain unmarried. That's what Paul says if you didn't have biblical grounds for divorce. Are you willing to do that? Hope that helps. Let's go to Robert calling on line one. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? I had called in a, a couple of weeks ago. I was telling you about my uh, my granddaughter on social media. I don't know if you remember uh-huh. that. Um, I do. She was doing a lot of a lot of bad things and stuff like that. And we and I thought we had made some some headway. Um, had some great conversations, and uh, she just had her 16th birthday this weekend. We took her down to Tower of America, was trying to treat her like a princess and act like a princess, and treat her, you know, trying to give her some biblical teachings. But um, right before that, Pastor Ron, on Thursday, I found out she had a backup phone up in our room, and she was back on social media again. Mm-hmm. Now, um, here's the difficult thing, too. So I, I kind of let it go because we already had plans on the weekend. Maybe I should have canceled everything. But So anyhow, there's kind of like the day of reckoning is coming today um, on some of the things I'm going to, you know, as far as punishment goes. Um, and that goes with some of her schoolwork. But here's the more disturbing thing is actually I've been talking to her about some of the music she's listening to. Pastor Ron, I can't even tell you the lyrics that I heard her listening to, how disgusting they were, talking about things that I cannot even mention on the air. And it really, really almost made me throw up because I'm like, who is this girl? You know what I mean? She says she's not that person, but yet she's singing these songs like with pride about degrading women. Uh, I mean, I don't know what I can say on the air, Mr. Ron, but you could just imagine some of the tone in there. And she's singing it like it's like it's nothing, like loud with her friend in, in, in the uh, in our game in our in her room. That I was coming up to say something to, and I kind of overheard it. Luckily, I didn't go in because I probably would have lost my temper and I would have canceled everything. So I know, um, you know, he who spares the rod doesn't love his children so i don't i'm I'm ready to have a big talk with her today um talking about um, i don't know about spanking but i don't know pastor ron what what do you think man i'm I'm like literally again i lost another couple pounds over this it's like i don't know what to do (laughs) Pastor Ron. it's like really it's really eating me up inside but i'm getting to the point pastor ron where i'm almost going to start not caring anymore does that make sense yeah, um, and, and and you got to guard like your I'm heart against it. that. Yeah, yeah, you 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 got to really guard your heart against that, Robert. To, I mean, the pain and the grief you're suffering is because you love this girl, and and um, uh, I think sometimes love has to be tough. Now, I I think um, she's probably too old to be spanked now. Um, so so what I would do, and I, I and I think this is a place where she's demonstrated that she cannot be trusted. That her word uh, is not something that you can trust that she's violated the trust that you tried to extend to her, and you did so in love. But but um, now that she's violated that trust, I think the stakes have to be raised. Uh, this is a girl who has no business on social media at all. Uh, if it were my home, uh, I would take away her phone. Uh, I would make it very clear that she's not to use other people's phones, friends at school. If you had to cut off her access to those friends who are providing access to to uh, to social media, then you do that. Um, you don't do it in anger. Don't lose your temper. Don't raise your voice. Just make her understand that that because you can't trust her, she's lied to you already. Um, that she is no longer going to have access at all to uh, to a telephone, to a computer, or social media, and that all of her online stuff. And I realize that we've got computers at home. Uh, and iPads and things like that. Uh, tell her the only time that she is uh, free to be online uh, is where you are or or where her grandmother is, um, and um, that's just the price. Until till you trust her again, uh, yeah. that's just the can way it's going to be. Ron? I can hear you. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Like after I found that she had the other phone. She was like, um, and again, we've had some serious, serious conversation because here's the other thing. She's been like, in certain points, she's been very upfront with me and told me stuff that I was like flabbergasted that she actually told me these things, you know, that she had feelings for like another girl at one time, even though now that's mm-hmm. kind of gone. And uh, so she's really opened up to me. 
And when I told her, you know, obviously there's a lack of trust because she's done this again. But when I confronted her about it, I mean, she was very distraught and saying, I need help. I don't know why I'm doing this. I keep on disappointing you. And then just when I think everything is good, I hear these songs that she's singing on Saturday as we're getting ready to go out to do a celebration on her 16th birthday. And like I said, the lyrics, like I said, I almost wanted to throw up after hearing it. I'm like, is this my girl singing these lyrics with pride? You know, you, you know Robert, that that kind of language and and the the, the whole idea of, of having feelings for another girl and 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 it gets worse than that. It gets well, maybe I'm a I'm a boy in a girl's body kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, no, never got par- that. Par- yeah. yeah, yeah, but but parents don't understand that when you're exposing your children to those kinds of ideas. I mean, this girl is in a time in her life when when she's she's searching and and her mind is being bombarded. Uh, with with all of this worldly stuff, uh, you need to explain to her that your job now, because she's violated your trust, is is to act as as a policeman. And and so, uh, since you won't get the help you need, you won't take the help that that we're offering. Um, now my job has changed. Now I'm a policeman, and I'm going to prevent you. I'm going to cut off access to those things. And you need to be ready for pushback because most of these kids can't imagine living without a phone. Uh, but but your job now is to protect her from herself, even. Uh, and, um, and, you know, tell her, you're going to stand before the Lord one day and give account of your ministry. And the fact that she can so casually sing those words and, and so casually get involved with, uh, with websites that are going to promote all of the things that we know God stands in opposition to, um, um, your job now is to protect her. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. Um, at the same time, uh, she's got to understand that this is your way of demonstrating your love. Tell her you asked for help. We tried to give it. Now I'm going to insist that you get help, and, and it's going to take the form of discipline. I simply do not permit you to have access to a phone. I do not permit you to go online unless I'm in the room with you. Um, um, and then challenge you to earn your trust again. Let me say one other thing, Robert, and I think this is really important. We all want to believe that our kids are saved and we're telling them about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is this is a girl who knows about Jesus but doesn't know him. And so the way, the, the only source of help has to come from him. And I would tell her that because you are unwilling to go to him and let him invade your heart, to let him help you in this this crisis, means that I have to restrict what you are looking at and what you are exposed to, and that's just the way it's going to be. Now, understand, we can't watch them 24 hours a day every day, but we can make it really, really difficult for them. It's amazing that kids can go out and buy phones and and uh, get phones from other people. Uh, but but you need to track her. You need to track her. You no, need I, to have put, uh, I have I have I have like okay. a tracking on her phone and I've been able to do certain things with her as far as limiting that. Um, and like I, I told her, I said, today's like the day of reckoning. I'm going to when I get home today from work, we're going to sit down and all the fun of the weekend is pretty much over. You know that yeah. she's not going to have I was thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Go ahead, Robert. I, I would tell her that, that you, you know, uh, I don't need to track your phone anymore because you, don't, you no longer have a phone. And you're no longer going to have access to a phone. And when she says, well, how long is this going to be? It's going to be until I can trust you again. And tell her you love well, her. Normally tell her when that I, you when I, yeah. when I take ahead. stuff away, she really doesn't get, like, mad, mad like that, like my, my oldest son would. But she's more okay and kind of just, like, gets sad about it. So, but it's just, like, some of the friends she's hanging out with, I mean, because she's like one of the star athletes, she's hanging out with a couple older athletes, you know what I mean? And supposedly they're going to a Christian school, but you know what that means. That doesn't mean we're too much these days. But um, I just wanted to, you know, call you up, Pastor Ron, because that's Ron, it's like been eating me up. And yeah. um, I mean, I'm, and then I get OCD on it, man. I'm like looking at everything she's doing. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, but, but I'm that, in her phone, that's I'm what in her Snapchat account, I'm in her Instagram account, yeah. and I delete. I mean, all that stuff has been deleted, but some of the stuff I saw on there is very disturbing. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, Robert. Now, now you take all those. But yeah, but here now you take all those things away from her. Yeah. And she no longer has a Snapchat. She no longer has Instagram. She no longer has access to a phone. She is now a, a Luddite and tell her that's the price of lying. That's what it costs. There has to be consequences. And, and even if she doesn't get angry with you outwardly, believe me, this is going to be one of the things that is going to make her deal with, with, with her lies. So it's very, very important you take away her access to those things that can destroy her. And how long it lasts, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for her. And I would appreciate it, Robert. Maybe if you'd follow up with a phone call and let us know how she's doing, okay? I sure will, Pastor Ron. Thanks. Thank you, Robert. I'll be praying for you. Wow. You know, people think it's draconian when we say, why are you allowing your children access to these things? You know, we wouldn't let our kids go out and play in the, on, in the middle of a freeway because it's dangerous. They'd end up dying. But we'll give them a computer. It's like a, 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 a bomb waiting to go off in the room. We'll let them have access, unfettered access to the Internet in their room. Um, it's just not one of the things that, that a godly parent can do. And, um, you know, it may seem... Um, really, really harsh to a lot of you out there, but believe me, let me just quote my youth pastor who deals with all of this stuff all the time. Any parent, he says, who allows their children unsupervised access to a phone, whether it's away from home or in their room at night at home, is giving their child the tools to destroy them. And yet we parents do it all the time. One of my granddaughters, who is 14, Robert, um, not this year, but last year when we were there, she said, Grandpa, would you please tell Mom and Dad to get me a phone? All the kids have a phone. I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone. And um, I said, well, maybe that's good for you. And then she just quickly changed the subject and moved on. But my son, who said that she wasn't old enough for a phone, capitulated. And mom and dad got her a phone. And now when we're there with her, she never takes her face out of the phone. You know how it is with kids. So these are really, really important things. Moms and dads, you just don't understand the access that you're giving your children and how the enemy is going to use that to destroy them. We've gotten to the point where here when we see certain problems come up, I can look at a mom and dad and say, your, your child, your son, your daughter has a phone, don't they? Well, yeah, I'm talking nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds. And they are so tech-savvy they're a step ahead of even the most tech-savvy parents out there. So, Robert, we're praying. You know what? I, it's one of those things I know. I absolutely know. People won't take that counsel. They're so convinced that we have to give our children telephones. And it breaks my heart because I know the pain that's going to happen. We're giving our kids too much information before their brains, their psyche is developed enough to deal with it. And it's even more painful for me personally because most of you will just disregard that counsel. James says, can someone enter the kingdom of heaven who is openly homosexual? Um, James, the, the, the question seems straightforward, but, but there's some nuance to it. Um, yes, there can be a real Christian who's going to go to heaven who is attracted to somebody of the same gender. That's what they do with that attraction. It's where they take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. It's whether they resist 
the temptation, whether they say no to themselves so they can say yes to God. So we live in a fallen world and same-sex attraction is a reality of life. But the person who willfully, rebelliously sins against God, whether it's sexual sin or any other kind of sin, we wouldn't ask this question if it was somebody, well, well can somebody who keeps on stealing, will they go to heaven? Well, if they were really believers, they would stop stealing. Well, the same thing is true of somebody who's attracted to the same gender. They would understand that's forbidden fruit. They may struggle with the orientation. But when they're struggling, it's a good thing because their struggles honor God in the process. And James, the world that we live in, which now openly promotes homosexuality as not only an alternative lifestyle, but an approved, acceptable lifestyle. Uh, even in much of the church. Well, we have to realize it's coming from the heart of unbelievers. Galatians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both say, and they list homosexuality as one of the sins. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It can't be any clearer than that. So for somebody to say, oh, well, God wants you to, to, to be in love. God is, is love, and so it's okay. Uh, those are only people with hearts that don't know God at all. They don't know what love really is. So the answer to the question is no, if they are in willful rebellion against God. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Tough stuff today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.